If you're fed up with the medical system in this country, and if you feel it's failed you, this episode is for you. I have Dr. Victoria and Darcia on today, and we're going to do a deep dive into learning about how to heal naturally, identifying illnesses, and begin to actually cure one's diseases. We've treated for so many decades. She practices a type of medicine which will revolutionize the world. And in this episode, we're going to do a deep dive into understanding the methods and how she's been able to help many people through her career. My name is Mike. Every week I talk about things that I care about. Hopefully you find them of value as well. Today's Daily Dose is brought to you by GrassDoor.com. Cannabis delivery made simple. You can save 40% now when you use the code daily at checkout. All right, awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. And um, to start, I'm Victoria and Darcia. I'm an internal medicine trained physician. And I did residency at FAU. After residency, I did my integrative medicine fellowship at the University of Arizona in Tucson. Well, I wasn't there. It was virtually done. Um, and then I've also done courses in functional medicine. So now I have a telehealth practice, which is, you know, it's, the easiest way to describe it is root cause medicine, right? I'm not treating symptoms. I want to know why you're having those symptoms. So there's a specific testing that you won't get at a regular doctor's office that I do. And then we just go from there usually. This is exactly what had me. Uh, really interested. I'm like, this is different. No one is doing this. How does it feel to be the first? Well, I'll have to say I was inspired by Mark Hyman, who's a functional medicine physician. I've listened to like all his podcasts. Um, I will say it is different. I remember telling people in residency, like, oh, I wanted to integrate medicine. And if they weren't like raising an eyebrow, they didn't know what it was. You know, it was just like, why would you do that? Like, why are you doing that? Um, so there's definitely that. And even now, sometimes I'll go to dinner with colleagues and they'll be like, is there any evidence towards like what you're doing? Like, yeah, there's a lot of evidence, you know? So I think it's, it's a little bit, it's not as uncommon as we think, but I still think that there's kind of like that battle between what we're traditionally taught in medical school, because I didn't learn any of this in medical school. And then like what I'm doing now it feels good though. I have a lot more fun. I feel like I get to use my brain a little bit more because it's more of a detective work because it's not like there's not a set protocol for each thing. You're kind of just going off of each patient and what they're telling you to come up with a plan or to like do the investigation. And then based on how they're responding, you change the treatment, right? Like I'm not just going to say, Hey, it's protocol a take it. It's just like, we have to evolve as things are happening. Right. It's like, don't question my authority. I said, this is what it is. And, you know, we're going to stay on track until, uh, until further notice, but uh, it's really amazing. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not too familiar with this area of medicine. Most of most medicine that's uh, being practiced across the country is treat only not, uh, not focused on curing. And of course, that's, it's not good for business. If you're curing people, then they're and you're getting less customers, right? And but I yeah. feel like that's that's kind of the issue that we've seen for many decades that has grown into this huge problem today. Um, the opioid crisis being one of those, but there's many other things that are kind of uh, intertwined with that issue. Uh, 
um, no shortage of disease and no shortage of, um, uh, of issues that people face. And that's why I was really intrigued. I'm like, I have to speak to you. Uh, I want to better understand, you know, what, what it is you do, why you have chosen to do this, um, the types of people that you're encountering. Uh, I mean, it is different. You, you know, typically you would go in and you would say, this is what's wrong. And they might kind of figure like, okay, there's probably a medication for that. Um, what, what are some of the questions you might ask people when you have them come in? I mean, they're going to tell you, Hey doc, this is, this is what I'm dealing with. Uh, What does it proceed with? So, you know, a lot of times when people come to me, they've already seen like a bunch of different doctors. Uh, they couldn't either figure out what's going on or they're being dismissed, uh, which happens. And I guess like you don't have a lot of time in a 15 minute slot appointment to ask a lot of questions, but usually my questions revolve around mo- like the first one is like nutrition, stressors, right? Like, are you stressed? How are your relationships? Exposures, right? Like, do you have any toxic exposure, any mold exposure? So we talk about that. And then uh, like just pretty much any like habits, exercise. I look at everything. Like I'll even talk to people, you know, let me, let me see the yogurt that you're eating in the morning. I want to see the food label because people are like, Oh, I'm eating healthy. And then you look at their yogurt and it was like 30 grams of sugar that they're just eating for breakfast. And you're like, okay, well, no, you know, I get like really in depth. And just to give you an example of like why that matters is, you know, I had this young lady come to me. She was postpartum. She had eczema on her face and she had gone to see her ob who sent her to a dermatologist, who sent her to an allergist, but she didn't have any allergies. And then she came to me and she was just like, oh, I need to see a GR doctor. And I was like, you don't need to see a GR doctor, right? Like, let's kind of focus in and see what's going on. I asked her all the usual questions. We did a stool test, GI map, which is like very specific, like PCR testing, not just like an ovum parasite that you do at the doctor's office. And we saw that she had yeast overgrowth. She had an imbalance between the good and bad bacteria in her gut. So we had to reset that and treat the yeast. So every time she was eating that yogurt in the morning, she was just feeding the yeast. And that was just causing systemic inflammation. So like you have to ask these questions and you have to get like really in there. And as soon as we treated the yeast and we kind of reset her diet and her gut, it went away. That was like two years ago. Wow. This is part of what I had read through your profile. And I said to myself, you are onto something um, that's going to change the world as long as people listen and keep an open mind that because uh, uh, it's easy. And I think we've been conditioned to to kind of gravitate towards easy. Uh, I'm having these symptoms. How do we stop the symptoms? But um, identifying why they're even uh, occurring or manifesting uh, it requires so much more effort. And I think um, I try to view the medical profession from both sides. I know there's a lot of people outraged and there's distrust. And then on the other side, we have doctors who are like, man, I, I see, you know, 50 patients a day. It's overwhelming. Um, if they work for a hospital, then there's, you know, directors above them who are like, well, we have quotas and we have, we have requirements. And, you know, so there's this system of operations that that really um, kind of ties the hands of most people in the profession. And it's hard to speak up. I've spoken to a number of different doctors 
some of them have left or retired because they're like, I can't do this anymore. Um, it's not aligned with, uh, with my mission uh, to, to help heal people. And it's completely different healing versus treating. Uh, and again, there's no shortage. There's all kinds of issues. Um, it's just mind blowing. And most of it, I feel it's been, it's been my suspicion. And I want you to elaborate on this if you can. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I started wondering uh, what, what is cancer exactly and why, you know, why are we seeing it? And the same would be said about some other things that, that have been more common today. And it's growing rapidly. And my thought was, well, what are we exposed to the most? We're exposed to water. We're exposed to air and food. So what's the, these are the, the most common things that are being found um, everywhere that we all have to consume. And the question became, well, is there something wrong with the food? Is there something wrong with the water? The water's highly chemically treated. That's right. for sure. The food is chemically treated, um, even if you are buying organic. That, that's a, it's a nice label, but uh, that has a, it has a, uh, I want to say, a, a process to it. It's organic based on a certain process. Doesn't mean that it was never, that it was never sprayed, or it doesn't mean that it was uh, never, ever treated. It's just the treatments stop before, I guess, harvest. It depends on the state. I'm here in California. Can you, can you, uh, can you elaborate? Well, in the packaging too. So I think that, yeah, that's, uh, I think there's multiple reasons, but I'll, I'll tell you, and I don't think people are going to be happy when I say this, but I think it's important to know that only 12% of Americans are metabolically healthy, meaning that like their BMI is normal. They don't have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, or that they're not insulin resistant only 12%. So then the rest of the 88% of us um, have some level of metabolic dysfunction, insulin resistance being like huge, right? And so people will be like, well, I'm not diabetic. Well, one of the tests that I do is like the fasting insulin. Fasting insulin is more sensitive than, than A1C or you know other tests that you'll do for diabetes. And you'll see, even if someone's not obese, they'll be insulin resistant. So what does that mean is that your body is pumping out more insulin to kind of tone down the glucose levels in your body because of what you're eating, right? And insulin, is kind of like a, like a growth hormone, right? You're, it actually allows cancer cells to grow. And there's some studies that have shown that there are cancers that, I guess, thrive when there is high insulin levels, being like the hormonal ones too, like prostate. I know breast cancer is associated with that. Um, you know, I'm sure there's other ones as well, but insulin resistance is one, right? And because we're seeing an increase in that in the population, I would say that our exposures to chemicals, I mean, over the last hundred years has significantly increased so much so that we still don't even know what some of them are, right? But in your home, like people who want to put those um, like air, air plug-in things, like that's, that's all toxins, right? When you're using plastic water bottles and your packaging that you're looking, you have BPA, you have phthalates, you have parabens in your, in your stuff that we, women use for their face, like their moisturizers and 
makeup, you're, every time your skin absorbs everything that you're putting on your face. So I think it's kind of those things, right? Our environment, our metabolic health, but then also something that I've noticed in myself doing this, and it's probably true for a lot of people, is our ability to detoxify, right? Because like, you need... Like uh, purging? Purging the well, system or purging the body? Well, it's just like your, your body gets overloaded, right? With like all these... I mean, also, how many people actually fast 12 hours between the night? We're constantly like putting food and chemicals and all this stuff in our body, right? Like our body never has a chance to rest. So we're constantly on overdrive. So you need B vitamins, magnesium. You need like all these nutrients for your body to like detoxify. Your liver needs to be working properly to detoxify. But if you're constantly putting in like processed food, fried foods, and then you're insulin resistant, like how is your body going to clean itself out when it needs to, right? You need to be able to sweat. You need to fasting helps, um, exercise helps, eating certain foods helps with detoxification, especially like cruciferous vegetables with the detox process. So you're like looking at all this stuff. How many people actually do that? How many people exercise, eat healthy, like are drinking water or limiting their exposures? So then when you have that buildup of toxins, you're predisposition to developing any chronic disease or cancer increases. So I think it's just like multiple things, not just one that has led to this. And then lack of education. Yeah. And that's actually what got me here is because, you know, I left medical school thinking like, Oh yeah, I'm going to help all these people now. And then I started residency. And like in the first six months, I'm like, what are we like, what are we doing? Because you have like diabetics with like these horrible foot infections who like might or might not need an amputation. And then you just like send them away. Nobody talked to them about diet or lifestyle. People coming in with heart attacks, like, okay, here's a stat and here's your medication. But then what? Yeah. Then what? I mean, cause that's just the treatment. Right. And, and so that was so frustrating for me. It's just like, what do we do now? It is for me too, because I've seen it for a number of years. I'm in the I'm in the health and wellness industry as a uh, a retailer, and um, you know, I get these complaints. People that find me um, for the various supplements I may offer, they uh, they're like, "Well, you know, this is what's going on, and um, my doctor's not helping. They're they're not." they just want to put me on these pills and I, you know, I do some research and I don't want to take these pills. Uh, it's a temporary fix and we've been conditioned to accept temporary fixes because it solves the immediate issue right then and there. But, um, you're right. Uh, long-term, if we're not trying to identify the root causes, then it continues to get worse. I mean, uh, industry loves it because they'll have their customers coming back um, and it's a reality we have to face that it, it is run like a business. And I imagine that you saw that as well through your residency, wondering kind of like, how do I fit into this puzzle? And it's difficult. Like I mentioned, a lot of, a lot of professionals like yourself get in and then you have your, uh, you have your debt for the education you were given and you just need to live in this life now. And it kind of becomes the norm. I just, I'm doing this because I have to survive. I, even if you don't agree that the, the, um, 
treatments that are being provided to people uh, are not the best direction to be going, you, you can't really speak up. You can't afford to lose your job. You can't afford to um, rock the boat, I guess. Yeah. And, and I guess you also have the community as a whole. So like you were saying earlier, uh, when you mentioned this, uh, whether it's colleagues or anyone else, um, if they haven't heard of it, that's one thing. If they have, they're kind of like, are you sure about this? Um, yeah. But but it's important that someone begins this work. It, someone before you started, but there aren't many of you who are willing to take that leap and say, the way we're doing it is wrong and there is a better way. Uh, this is what really gravitated me to... Um, to kind of read more on your website and find out more information. I'm like, this is all, I feel like it resonates and people need to hear this. Uh, diet does matter. Your exposures do matter. Uh, your education level on understanding um, what you consume and what you're exposing yourself to matter. I was surprised when you said even those plugins can be harmful. So those, those, uh, those scented plugins, you plug them in and then they just release uh, a scent every so often, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, what's funny is that uh, here's an example, and it may not be entirely related, but deodorants, underarm deodorants. I've been experimenting with several um, and I can't seem to find anything that I like primarily because I notice that there is, most of them do have some type of aluminum, you know, mm -hmm. some, some type of metal that's in there. Uh, and I've seen what it does to my clothing. I do sweat quite a bit. My wife says, you are very scented today. I'm like, well, that's the smell of hard work, sweetheart. Um, and seeing what it does to my clothing, I'm like, well, what is it doing to my skin? It's destroying my clothes, essentially. So long-term exposure to these, this type of product, what can I expect? I mean, I'm introducing it willingly onto my body hoping that it's going to reduce perspiration, reduce odor, because that's what they're designed to do. Um, it, it, I don't know. It's That's kind of been on my mind recently. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's another toxic exposure, honestly. Um, like now I've, I've just like stopped wearing it and like I'll wear it like every once in a while. And like, unless I know, because I haven't found like a, a natural or, you know, organic one saying that like I really like, um, but every time I use it, I'm like, this is another like toxic exposure. And then if you look, I think like at a certain point, all of this stuff kind of, you can go into the deep end with this, right? With like the aluminum and the fluoride and just like, I was listening to something the other day and it was just like how it harms your intuition. It like blocks your ability to like be in touch with, yeah, with your center of intuition, all these chemicals that we're introduced to. And I mean, like I said, you can't go into the deep end, but I think that at a certain point when you're like overloaded with toxins and just like, I don't know, one's like enough, enough. We, we've heard about fluoride having that kind of impact and that fluoride has been around for a century, nearly when, uh, back when it was, I think, first discovered and first used in the 30s, I believe, um, that uh, it does have some kind of impact of what you're describing. Um, it's still difficult uh, not to lean towards the convenient. All of the, this is the kind of how all of this works is they're convenient and they, and they work. I mean, we can't walk around smelling bad. Can we, 
Uh, that that's not okay either, whether you're on a bus or a subway or in a vehicle. I mean, um, but it's highly concerning. It's something that I've been thinking about the last few days because I'm still searching. I thought even if we could find an organic underarm deodorizer, it's probably not going to work that great. It's going to work somewhat, but maybe not as be- as great as it could. Well, how much of it is also that our bodies get used to these chemicals, right? So maybe if you went like a prolonged period without it, that your body would kind of like desensitize and like come back to somewhat of a steady baseline. Because I've seen that happen too. Fascinating. I mean, I guess so. De- detoxifying and, and all the rest. I love that you mentioned fasting. <clears throat> it's underrated. Not a lot of people consider it to be uh, even plausible for them. to like, I got to eat. I'm like, yeah, you, I mean, we've been conditioned to eat. It's, uh, it's good for business when you want to just consume. And I feel like they've hijacked our brains and our bodies in some ways. Well, and part of that also is that metabolic inflexibility that I told you. So if you have like metabolic health, you should be able to go through periods of fast without, you know, drama, without like the sweats, we're just like feeling hangry or the fatigue and that stuff that happens to people, like that's real. But then like when my clients tell me, I check a fasting insulin and their insulin levels high. So they're going to have a harder time going through this fast than someone who's metabolically healthy. So I, I, I think that that's important to point out. And I would say that for those people, probably not where you want to start. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to start fasting. You probably want to start with just changing your diet throughout the day, healthier meals, more protein, less carbs, and work your way up to fasting because that is a real thing that some people really can't, they don't tolerate it. I mean, did you say hangry earlier? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I I know the feeling. I uh I uh I don't go to the doctor often, but I went about a year and a half ago. So in uh unusually high cholesterol levels. And it's obviously due to my poor diet. I mean, um incredibly busy, just like any other American, just incredibly busy, involved with the things that I'm doing. So fast food is the go-to because it's convenient. But um uh hearing that. And it was amazing because he's like, look, you need to change and immediately change now. Otherwise, we will put you on medication. And I was blown away because his first th- his first thing wasn't like, this is what we're prescribing. His initial thought was, you need to change. That had me thinking for months at a time. I, I implemented the changes, uh, diet change, fasting, exercising, and they're all very difficult because they're, you know, they're habits that uh, that don't come easy and are even harder to retain if you don't stay on top of it. But um, it was a wake-up call in the sense that uh, if the change isn't implemented and we're not staying on top of it, that uh, we can't expect to get sicker. That's really scary. I'm not. I'm not. I'm pretty young. I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I think. I don't want to be too morbid on my social media or anything like that, right? Like I don't want to scare people, but I've worked in the hospitals, And when you see that level of like debility or chronic disease, like it's scary. And some of these people are in their forties and fifties and you're just like, 
how did this happen? Because it was all preventable, you know, for the most part, some things are out of your control. But like, I would say 80% of it is preventable. And it's scary. And I wish like people could see what I see. Because like you said, I think that that would kind of be a wake up call for them. Sometimes it wasn't for my pops, open heart surgery, like over 10 years ago. And then he just had another uh, episode and another surgery recently, like a month or two ago. Um, that should have been a wake up call to like change your diet, exercise, take it seriously. But witnessing it over a period of years, I'm like, um, it's not that I don't feel bad. It's that like, there's no point in me speaking up or saying anything because you're, you're in control of those behaviors. Um, uh, I see that it's very difficult. You could be young, you could be older, but, um, being mentally strong and well-disciplined to say no to certain desires, you know, because yeah. we all desire, we, we, we all have these um, deep desires for comfort food, for chocolate, for things that, uh, that, I mean, they feel good. They do. This is why I say that I feel like they hijacked our brain because they understand, you know, um, those within, um, within positions to create foods and packaged foods and snacks and all these things, they understand how our brains and our body work better than we do. And this is how they can engineer the food to make sure you don't want to stop stuffing your face with Cheetos. You go for one, you're like, that's pretty good. Let me go for another, 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 again, and again, and again. Um, I love that you mentioned carbs earlier, doing some basic kind of reading on, on that. The, the very flour that's being used in, in breads is toxic. And I found that to be just like, what? Can well, you speak because, about that? Because of the, the glyphosate. So the weed killer, the Roundup or, that they use for it. Well, one, it's genetically modified. A lot of the wheat products that we're using is genetically modified now. But also then you spray glyphosate which if like you look up has also been linked to a lot of cancers and just chronic disease in general. And that's like by that company, like Monsanto that everybody talks about. Yeah. But again, like if you like listen to podcasts and read like money, money talks, right. So that's going to stay like for the foreseeable future, we're going to have glyphosate and all our, our wheat products. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, you'll have people who even say, like, I'm gluten, you know, insensitive, like, sensitive, or I'm intolerant to gluten, and then they go to Europe, and they eat gluten, and they're fine. So, is it oh. the gluten, or is it the way that we're processing it? Is it the chemicals? Like, I just feel like we really have to kind of, kind of see, because I see a lot of gluten intolerance, but then when people travel, and they eat bread and stuff somewhere else they have no problem that's an interesting insight how many times have you heard a story like that where someone is but then travels and is fine while eating something like that is that more than one more than 10 people it's it's very common i've seen it like in my in my so circle and i've even heard podcasts on it like it was mark Hyman and someone else i forgot who it was and they were just talking about the way that we process the food is one thing, but also what we add in our food can be affecting how we react to the gluten. Everything is designed for production and for yeah. shelf life. And, um, and the higher the, uh, the population numbers, the more 
these chemicals are needed to keep things shelf stable for prolonged periods of time. Uh, like you said, I guess in the force, even in the foreseeable future, as, as people do get educated on what all this is, it's, um, it's unlikely to stop because um, of convenience and the, uh, the need to feed people um, in mass. There's just too many people. And I feel like, uh, I feel like this is such an important topic. I'm just super grateful that you're here. This is, this is a message that people need to hear. And, and from a, from a professional who takes it seriously, um, all of these things clearly matter. Um, but as you've dealt with patients that come to you, um, what are some of the reactions of these people when, when you kind of dive into? So the testing has helped me a lot because they're like really detailed. And once you sit down with people and I can like explain like, look, this is what's happening in your body and it's causing this. And then they're more likely to be like, okay, I'll like do what you're telling me to do. But it's funny because last week I had this one guy with an autoimmune condition, again, did his stool testing. He had a chronic parasitic infection, which we treated and then we changed his diet. And I put him on like some herbs. I think it was garlic and oregano to help like kill anything else that shouldn't be there. And, you know, he, he mentioned like, when she said, when I said, take the oregano and the garlic, he thought it was crazy, but he was just like, okay, fine. But this guy has lost 10 pounds. One of the goals that he had when we started was that he wanted to ride a hundred miles on his bike because he's a biker and he hadn't been able to do that. He did that like two weeks ago, wow. you know, cause he felt so good. But it's funny because I think a, a lot of times it's like disbelief, like, is this really going to work? And then they start feeling better and they're like, oh my God, like, yes, this, this works. And I think that what's the good thing is that when they've come to me, like they've exhausted a lot of their options. So they're willing to do it. Yeah. But I think if it was like just some random person, they'd be like, she wants me to take garlic and oregano. Like, is she crazy? So I think it's just, I'm lucky with the patient population that I have. But the other thing that I do, which I get from a lot of my clients that they don't really get from other physicians is I explain everything because I don't want people to feel like, oh, she's telling me what to do. It's always like a conversation like, hey, these are our options, but this is why we need to do something. I feel like that's yeah. the most, that's the most important uh, part is communication. And this is what's lacking. I mean, uh, we've seen it over the years as we've had our children, like, don't, you know, they, pediatricians don't like being questioned, you know, they, uh, uh, or having their authority, you know, uh, questioned. It's like, well, I'm the professional, you know, that's why you're here type of thing. But, um, a little bit of communication can go a long way. We want to, we want to build that trust with our, with our caregivers. Um, it's critical to building it, that long-term foundation and relationship. I mean, it's also good for their business, for your business, um, that, uh, people can really feel confident about, uh, visiting their, their doctors and knowing like, no, you know, they, they do a thorough job. Um, I mean, I, I really, I feel like there's such a lack of interest there 
these days. There's like nobody wants to really try. And maybe this is the numbers. Maybe there's just too many patients. I think it's burnout because I, you know, I've been there and I have a lot of friends that are still there and you just get really burnt out. But I don't think it's burnout from your patients so much as it's the load of patients and then the administration because you're trying to focus on your patient and then they're telling you, you need to do this, this and that and discharge this patient and do that. And you're like, okay, but that's not what's like in the best interest of the patient right now. And so it's like a constant like battle, but it's almost like healthcare right now has nothing to do with the patient. Uh, it's a, yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's, it just depends on how much insurance is willing to pay, you know, for the, for the treatments. And if it can't, then it's like, well, we have to discharge this person. It's costing us a lot to keep them here type of thing. Um, I'm trying to reflect back on what you were saying uh, just a minute or two ago regarding um it's not, yeah, I don't know. This happens often. Th- things come and then things go. I'm like, ah, I lost it. But it, it, this is, it happens because we're just always like, kind of, we're jumping around. We're talking about so many different things. Um, but this type of medicine, do you, do you think it can grow in popularity? Do you think this will spread across the country? Do you think there'll be more people like yourself willing to explore this? Well, I just converted one of my colleagues who was working in the hospital with me. He's going to be taking uh, functional medicine courses. So I think, yes, because from a physician standpoint, you get really tired doing what we're doing. I can see like four to five patients a day. And for me, that's enough because it's a lot of work. I spend like an hour with each person and like, you know, then you have to like do the notes and like do all the stuff. So I think like that's the sweet spot versus you're seeing like 50 patients in a day. Um, so from the physician standpoint, yes, but I, from the patient standpoint, I think patients are tired of like being ignored or dismissed. I think people also just want to know why. I know people my age too, you know, like 30s, I don't want to go to a doctor just so I can be put on medication. Like I want to know why. Right. So I think like the more people become aware, like they actually have a choice. So you can go see your PCP and walk out with a medication, or you can go see someone else who's going to work you up and try to find out what's going on. I think that more people are going to gravitate towards that. And I tell, you know, I don't always know what's going on, but I tell them like, you know, Hey, this sucks. I'm sorry that you're going through this, but let's figure it out together. You know, I'm not going to get like frazzled because I don't know what's going on. But that's part of the science, isn't it? I mean, it is a science. We have yeah. to ask questions. We have to be patient, analyze the data, uh, look deeper. Um, I mean, uh, though we have a good solid maybe century of incredible developments, med- medical, you know, medical developments, whether it's equipment or knowledge and uh, insight, um, there's still uh, there's still more to learn. And um relying just on what we've gained in the last century though again i can't deny it's powerful stuff that we have developed as a society uh uh but there's still more and this is uh probably a i want i'm going to say it's probably going to be critical to stabilizing the world in terms of health um it's funny you you may or may not have heard about this but several years ago, there was a documentary 
in Kuwait, uh, in the Middle East, and they were tracking people's diet prior to the corporations moving in to Kuwait. A lot of the diseases they're seeing today did not exist. Mm. So obesity, diabetes, various different things that are pretty common here in the States, but they weren't in some of these countries over there. Kuwait is a oil rich country. Um, I believe it's their number one export. Um, and I don't know who within their government decided it was a good idea to let Domino's move in or KFC or anyone else for that matter, but they signed off on it. They're like, yes, you're welcome. Come open up businesses here. And in a short, in a very few short years, I think it was less than 10 years that uh, they began to see the manifestation of these diseases in their population. That's a, that's not a very long time. <laughs> but I believe it. And it's like you said earlier, like nutrition really matters. No, I think, I think you said it. <laughs> uh, I, and um, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's a combination of everything. You, you had said that earlier too, what you're exposed to, what you choose to consume, the exercise, I read some of the other aspects within your site too, um, under different sections, like the, the whole idea of healing isn't just body, but it needs to be mind, body, spirit. Like it's, it encompasses all of it. Um, and I've been, I've been in that boat for a while. I mean, just for my own reasons, just realizing like, well, what's the point if my body's healthy, but my mind isn't? What's the point if my mind is healthy, but my, my spirit or my body isn't? We need, we need that homeostasis across the board. Getting there is rather tough because life is definitely tough. I agree. I would say probably the body part is easier than the mind and spirit part of it. Um, I'll say I came to terms with that and I realized that when I went to Arizona, I did like a month while I was in residency. I went over there and I told my mom, it was like a spiritual boot camp because I think I cried like almost every day for the first two weeks, but it's because you, people don't realize how like out of touch you are with yourself, right? Like you're just on the go and you know, you're in residency, you're working pretty much like the whole month, like no time off. The one day you have off, you're doing laundry and sleeping. And so when I got there, there was like time and spaciousness. Then you have to actually like face the things that are not going okay. Right. And then I think that that's the part of like mind and spirit, right? It's just like getting in touch with like, okay, why is this happening? Why am I having anxiety? What parts of my life are not aligned with like what I really want, you know, going forward? Like that stuff is hard. It's not fun to have to like sit down and reflect on all this. And, you know, the other aspect is like the relationship aspect, because relationships are so important. So you can eat healthy, you can meditate, you can do all the right things. But if the relationships around you are toxic, like, what are you really like changing? Like, it's like the whole person matters. All of those things matter. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, because uh, the stimuli, whichever direction it's coming from, you know, into your life is going to have an impact. So if the crowd you're around um, isn't nurturing the best 
parts of you, um, you, you know, you're, you're going to see problems with that. You're most certainly not going to see the best of you come out. Right. Um, the same would be said about like your work environment, your family environment, um, all of these relationships. And then, yes, you start piling on things, your, your choice of food, your choice of exercise or lack of, um, and even content you're consuming. Nowadays, it's a great time because we, you know, many of us are geared towards wanting to educate and there's many people wanting to listen and learn. It could be podcasts, it could be virtually anything now, but uh, it's made it possible for people to just keep an open mind and just listen. So what I love about what I do, because I get to speak to awesome people like yourself, you teach me something and then you help teach uh, all my listeners and readers and watchers, something, something to reflect on, something to think about long-term. Um, and of course, I have to ask, um, was it easy to make this transition? Um, uh, of course, there's probably some, tr- some issues with colleagues and, and maybe superiors uh, within the hospital, or I mean, just can you explain to me or just tell me like what the, what was that like for you well so i finished my training and i actually like i had a like a full-time job in the hospital i quit like over a year ago and then since then i've been doing like locums like independent contracting stuff in and out of the hospital while i've been starting the business i think that was the best way um funny actually because when i quit that job one of my bosses was like oh please tell me you're not quitting to do lifestyle medicine and laugh, and I was like, uh, no, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut, right? So I didn't, like, you know, say anything. But um, now the independent contracting stuff that I'm doing, they're super flexible. They're, they know what I'm doing as far as, like, my own business. They've been very supportive. If I don't come for months to work in the hospital, they're cool. If I want to come back, they're cool with it. So they've been very uh, understanding about that, but they're also like my age and we went to residency together. So I think like they, they're kind of on board with this kind of medicine. I think the most challenging part of the transition though, I would say one, starting your own business definitely like triggers a lot of your, your insecurities. So that's something that you have to work through. Like, can I do this? Is this going to be a thing? Um, but then I also think it's, I had to do a lot of networking within the community with other physicians, chiropractors, things like that. And I felt like it was really hard, even if I was explaining what I was doing for them to truly understand what I was doing for some of them. Like some of them were like, yes, that's awesome. I love that you're doing that. And some of them were like, but how can you help my clients kind of thing? How about I just show you, (laughs) right? You know, through results. Exactly. And I think that that was probably the more challenging part because even if like I sit here with you and I can see that you understand what I'm talking about, but some people, they were just like, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure how this is relevant. And then, you know, probably they're just not open to it and that's okay too. Yeah. This is, you're, I'm sure you'll see a lot of that. I'm really happy to hear that you've had plenty of support in terms of um, from the, the job you had and the people you're around. Uh, to making this transition, all businesses are tough, regardless, whatever you decide to do. But this one's a really meaningful um, and going to be a very impactful business. It's going to be very fruitful for you, but 
uh, life-changing for many, many people that you come across. I know this. Yeah. And I hear uh, it from my clients and that's what keeps me going. You know, whenever like things are tough or I'm like, oh, can I do this? Then I get like confirmation from them. Like, wow, I feel so much better. And I'm like, okay, I'm on the right track. You are on the right track. I mean, results are what is the most important. All these years, results have been gained through treating temporary fixes, which lead to other issues. And the cycle continues for a lot of people. I reflect on what you said earlier, just seeing people 40, 50 years old, seeing the chronic illnesses they're dealing with and asking yourself, this is all, this was all preventable. How did this happen to you? Um, and there just wasn't, an, there wasn't anyone that cared enough uh, to speak up and to, to help guide people um, in our, in our world, in this country, we, um, we think that if it's being sold, then chances are it's probably okay. Right. But everything in moderation, but even then it's just the accumulation of all exposure uh, still makes it very tough. So you can have in moderation, terrible food because it's comforting to eat. And you might be more mindful about some of the other things that you're coming into contact with, but I feel like the accumulation of all of it over a lifetime is what's kind of leading to many of these diseases, some of them being fatal. Um, so like, like the question is, is what, what do we do? What can we do? That's a good question. I would say, first, I'm going to start with this because I listened to this on a podcast and I thought it was great. This guy was talking about your marginal decade, right? Like how you want to spend the last 10 years of your life. And then you plan for that right? Like, what are your goals? Because everyone's going to be different. Like, do you want to be like jogging or walking five miles when you're 80? Or do you just want to be able to play with your grandchildren? Because then your goals are going to be different. Not everyone is going to have the same goals. So that's the first thing. Then I would say you need to start looking at the things around you. First being like nutrition. Not everyone is going to be able to buy organic, right? And that's fine. But that doesn't mean that then you're just going to go to McDonald's. Right. <laughs> it's just like completely like two different things. How can you change your current situation to be better? Right. Because not, you don't have to go all the way, but right now, today, be better. And for the people who, and I'm not like in, in January, we're going to be talking about this a lot, but it's going to be like, okay, you've never exercised before. Let's start walking 10 minutes after every meal because that's actually been shown to improve your insulin levels versus. People who are just like never worked out a, every a day in their life. And then they're like, okay, we're going to go to the gym five days this week. That's not how you set goals, right? Like you have to just start slowly. And once you have the diet and exercise together, then you can say, how can I clean up my environment? These toxins, do I get an air purifier? Do I stop using some of these products that I know are toxic? Actually, it's like ewg.org. I don't know if you've heard of that website. But you can look anything up on that website, like your laundry detergent, the plugins, makeup, and it'll tell you like the level of like toxicity in these products. And that's wow. a, re a reference I use a lot for my clients because once people have like their diet and exercise in check, they're like, what else can I do? Okay, yeah. start, start cleaning up your environment. And that's like a resource I use a lot for them. But this is a stepwise process. 
Because if someone is going to say, tomorrow I'm changing my diet, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to meditate, and I'm going to clean up my environment, it's just not going to work like that. It's stepwise. It reminds me of the book Atomic Habits. Um, A great book just talks about setting uh, these smaller goals and and meeting them and then building on them. Uh, A big part, what I've realized, a big part of making these changes is that you have to develop a physical and mental discipline and maintain it without discipline. um, This is what ends up happening to many people. And I think there's a lack of education on that. People don't understand what discipline is sometimes Um, and, and, or may understand a basic definition of it, but in practice um, we succumb so easily to our desires and our wants or just our feelings and emotional state of being. Uh, so it's, we're constantly highly su- suggestible for, for anything at, at that point. It becomes, uh, it becomes really tough. I feel like uh, we've covered so much already. Uh, is, there, is there anything you want me to know or you want people to hear about? Well, I mean, you're right. I think we did talk a lot. Um, Just one last thing about where we're going. One of the biggest things I've seen in my clinic so far is infertility. Really? Yeah. So I would say this all ties in, right, to what we were talking about, like the toxic exposure, our diets, our levels of stress. It's like it's not just going to affect your chronic disease states down the line, but it's also affecting infertility a lot. I think I was, I was a, can't remember the name of the documentary, but it was saying like a young man today in his 20s or 30s has half the amount of sperm that his grandfather had. It was something crazy like that. Why? And it was, uh, phthalates is a big one. Phthalates and BPA can affect fertility and it's just like ubiquitous in our surroundings. So that's actually a a lot of what I've unintentionally been doing in the clinic is hormone. Yeah. Hormone stuff for people who have infertility. I've heard of BPA. I remember when it was, I think banned officially out of plastics, Um, you know, Coca-Cola began to produce bottles without it. Um, They even had notices, uh, um, that were put up on refrigerators that say, you know, um, that they're no longer using it. Uh, pri- uh, prior to that, I think they had put up notices for a while that said, you know, we have to announce that these things contain BPA. But na- nowadays I'm seeing, especially in a lot of children's stuff, I've got two little girls and um, a lot of the children's products or foods or snacks, it'll say it like, this is BPA free. Uh, this is a uh, uh, paraben free. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's great. I don't know what these are exactly. Right. Um, and so just diving into it, you realize it's mostly just packaging and, and, uh, and the purpose of just trying to maintain shelf life, shelf yeah. stability, uh, things like that, which is just insane. Uh, it leads me to something else. I'm su- surprised to hear about the uh, what you found in males 
at, at a young age. I mean, what age, age groups were you seeing this in? Like 20s, 30s? Uh, so they're seeing in 20s, 30s. Right now I have a gentleman in his 30s and him and his wife had to do IVF, but it wasn't for her. It was because of his sperm quality. So, you know, it's just, it's not just like, you know, traditionally we think, oh, infertility must, you know, be the female because it's more common, but it's starting to affect men too. Right. Yeah. Who would have, who would have known the, the deep impacts that, um, that all of these things, the exposures of them could have, I mean, on a basic level, I think we might all kind of feel like there's something here. We, we know something's going on, but there's also just many factors that play into um, making us look the other way and just say, well, it's probably okay. And it's probably fine, but it's not in long-term. It just manifests in some, some horrible diseases makes me wonder, because I've been thinking about this for a while and maybe you can speak on this, but we've been seeing a lot of autism in children and I say to myself, well, where the hell did this come from? So that, I've, I've heard on that discussion that it starts in the mother's womb, right? Again, it could be exposures because the numbers have increased along with the toxic exposures in our health. So that's part of it. Um, I did do a presentation, I think it was like a year ago, which was really interesting because it was on uh, fecal transplants. And one of the studies was looking at kids with autism and the role of the gut microbiome in their like behavior and social anxiety. And when they, they did courses of antibiotics and then did fecal transplants, they noticed that their social skills got better for some of them, their speech was better and uh, their behavior overall improved. So some, and there's a range for autism, like some can get better with like very in-depth like counseling. Also, like I said, fecal transplants, this was just a study, but if they've already seen improvement in that sense, then you can tell that the gut health also plays a role in that as well. But I think that, I think we're still going to be, that's going to take a while to figure out, but yeah, starts in the womb. And then there, I think that there's things like environmentally that also play a role. The fecal transplants is also looking at Parkinson's and Alzheimer's for improving symptoms. So your gut microbiome plays like a larger role than, than we realize. Yeah. I, I see here something that you had written that, um, resonated with me. Medicine is how we eat, think, feel our relationships and the list continues. There's no one pill solution. Um, it resonated with me as soon as I read that. And I said, uh, this person understands on a much deeper level, what is going on, um, to humanity today. Uh, I think about what food looked like just maybe a century ago. And how much healthier it probably was because um, things were being produced a little more naturally uh, just just because like production ne- didn't need to ramp up uh, as we had seen over the last, let's say, seven decades from 1950s and past production really increased to, to feed the masses. And with that came a a 
need to reduce waste, a need to um, maximize yield. And so this, and this is, I guess, where the story begins for some of these issues that are arising today. It took about, you know, I want to say it took about seven decades, give or take, for us to kind of really see the face of what um, food industrialization does to a, to a, a population. Um, you're, you're an amazing resource to the world. I sincerely wish you all the best and great success in what you're doing. Um, I would love to have you back on again and sometime in the future, if you're open to it. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about all stuff related to this. So I'm happy to talk about it whenever. Yeah. I mean, maybe on the next one, we can maybe dive more into, um, I want to say maybe mental health and though that uh, may be not directly related, but there might be some correlation with some of the other things that we're talking about. Um, because if you can, if you can find ways to improve your self-discipline, your mental strength and your physical strength to improve your, um, your health uh, physically, perhaps there's a way to transfer that to um, your mental well-being as well, whatever that may look like. Yes, I think that's definitely a good next topic. Awesome. I'm going to link everything down below so people can find you, people can find your site and find your message. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, it can help you gain a little more traction and we can continue to educate people all across the globe on some of these things. It reminds me that uh, before, before we end this, it reminds me that there are parts of the world that just do not allow the shit that we do here. Mm -hmm. So like Europe is one example. Um, are you familiar with this? Like the way they produce milk and bread and many things, they're just... And some of the chemicals are banned there. They're not even allowed to think about putting it in the food. Yeah. I mean, what do you... Do you know anything about this? Um, I mean, I've heard about that. I think, and I mean, I've been to Europe and I do think the food quality is better for sure. You feel it in your body when you go, like I like look at food here and my fingers start swelling up and then I eat like ice cream every day over there and I feel good. Um, I think it's just a difference in values, right? Like I think here it's just like, let's make it, let's make money on it. And I think that over there, they kind of see what it does to their health system. And maybe it's also because they have a public health system, like a government funded, that they actually, uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe that does have something to do with it. Because if the government and the people are having to pay for universal health care, then it's in everyone's best interest to, um, to reduce uh, illness across the board and to minimize it as much as possible. And as you said, a lot of it can start directly from nutrition. Yeah. Something to think about. I loved it. Thank you for coming on. You're awesome. No problem. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>